We're reading from Luke chapter 24, which is on page 1002 of the Church Bible. Luke chapter 24. And we start reading at verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you, the, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. 
Amen. And may God bless to us this reading from his holy word. And to his name be the praise and the glory. It's good to be here. Thank you very much for your welcome. Um, as Julie said at the beginning, I have some very real connections with Camborne, and I do feel very much part, and I am very much part, um, of the church here. But of course, in another sense, I'm not, because I'm, I'm not normally here. I'm all over the place. Um, for those of you who don't know what a United Reformed Church moderator is or does, I am. Um, I cover the east of England, um, so I travel the length and breadth of Cambridgeshire, Norfolk, Suffolk and Essex. Um, and um, it's um, good to be here and rooted. And on a Sunday when so many different things are happening, um, it's good. Um, and I'm really pleased um, to be here and to share with you today. I want to take you to the gospel passage that we've just heard from Fiona. And I want to ask you to imagine that you were there, frustrated, forlorn, angry, devastated, disillusioned, perplexed. What else can we say? You are making your way home to Emmaus. It's about seven miles. That's a long walk for us, but in days when the only way that most people got around was by walking, there's nothing particularly remarkable in walking that distance. After all, it's not much more than a quarter of a London marathon. But as you walk, you chat. And you try to make sense of what has happened. You were on the, the edge of the disciple group. You weren't part of the core 12, but you were one of the disciples, two of the disciples of Jesus. You had thought that things were going to change. Jesus was the one. It had been a time of hope. You're living in an occupied land. The Romans are in charge. You've been part of many crowds listening to Jesus. You have seen how he healed. You have heard what he said. You have been inspired and challenged and encouraged. But now it's all over. How could it have happened? Jesus arrested, tried, well, sort of tried, condemned and crucified. The trauma. It doesn't make sense. How are you and his other followers going to pick up the pieces? And then you're joined by a stranger who catches you up on the road and you fall into conversation. And at first it seems as though this new companion doesn't know anything about what has been going on with, with this Jesus and the authorities. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? But, but then the conversation takes a turn. As this stranger begins explaining all sorts of things from the scriptures. It's a fascinating conversation. 
seven miles or a bit less worth, but all too soon, you're home. It's late, getting dark, and it's not good in that context to travel on your own, and so you are glad to offer hospitality, and your new companion comes into your home. You prepare some food, and you sit down to eat. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. What a story this is. One of my favorites. My old New Testament teacher of a long time ago when I was... uh, back studying for my theology degree in Glasgow, Willie Barclay used to call it the sunset road that turned to dawn. Can you imagine the excitement? Perhaps, to be honest, a bit of regret that they hadn't realised. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking? And the dash back to Jerusalem to share the news. This can't wait. It doesn't matter that it's late. It doesn't matter that it's seven miles. A few years ago, I went to Emmaus. We went by minibus, so it wasn't quite the same. Uh, And these days, there is more than one location that claims to be the original Emmaus, the site of the place where these two lived whom Jesus encountered on the way to their house. We were at Abu Ghosh, one of the at least four villages that says we are the Emmaus. But as I celebrated communion with the small group with whom I had shared ten days in the Holy Land, in which we had tried, so far as it was reasonable, to chronologically visited the places particularly associated with Jesus has recorded in the Gospels. As we had done that, we ended up at Emmaus. And actually, it didn't really matter whether it was the right one or not, because what mattered was the significance for us at that point of where we were. You see, what I draw from this story and what I value about it is the possibility to What I value is the journeying together, the expression of welcome and hospitality, most fully shown in the breaking of bread together. What I value is the readiness of Jesus to be a companion on the way. And this story reminds us that we don't know everything. It reminds us that we need others to help us in all sorts of ways. It reminds us of the many things that we can share with and receive from others. And you know, it also reminds us that it's very easy not to recognize Jesus when he's with us. And in many ways, it's summed up in words that we heard earlier in the service from Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 5, So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. 
One of the wonderful things about our faith, and it is central to our faith, is that we are children of God. That, of course, is the overarching theme for the moment in our preaching and thinking here at Camborne. I am a child of God. Isn't that amazing? I am a child of God. Just say it silently to yourself for a moment. I am a child of God. Says so much. It's about being part of the family. My two daughters are in their early 20s. They are adults. Though that is not how I tend to see them. They're still my children with all that means. We are God's children. We are embraced within the love of God. Our particular focus today is on the body of Christ and that we are part of that body. It's one of the great images of the church that we are the body of Christ. And inevitably, there are many things that I, I could keep you here all day talking about the idea of the body of Christ. What I want to do, though, is just pick three crucial things that we can draw from this particular image. They overlap, in a sense, they're different angles on the same thing. But the first thing I want to talk about is being valued. Every part of the body is of real value and importance. And that is so because God chooses to use us as partners. The part we play is important. William Carey was part of the missionary movement that began in the late 18th century. And he felt that God was calling him to go to India to spread the good news. But there were those around him, good Christian folk, who dismissed the idea. Young man, if God wants to save anyone in India, that can happen without your help or mine. Well, on one level, of course, it can. But those who said such things missed the point of partnership. God does very little on this earth without the likes of you and me. That is the way God chooses to work. God values what we do, and God calls us to be part of the work of the church here on earth. We are involved, or we should be. We matter. It's very easy for us to dismiss what we can do. I can only do so very little. I'm not good enough. Don't worry if you feel like that, because actually you're in very good company. Moses didn't think he was the right man for the job. Isaiah didn't think he was good enough. Same for Simon Peter. But that's not how God sees it. You are a child of God. You are valued by God. You are part of the body. God has a part for you to play. And then the second thing I want to say is something about our being interdependent. Let's mention the London Marathon again. If you're going to run a marathon, you need your eyes, your legs, your arms, your feet, all to do their bit. 
And the fact that we have the wheelchair race, actually for me, only reinforces that. It doesn't diminish it in any way. Because in different ways, however we are, we need to be coordinated. It's so interesting that in Luke 10, Jesus sent a group of 70 disciples out to do mission. But he sent them in pairs. And that little passage at the end of Acts 2, which is possibly the best New Testament description of what the early church was like, refers to them holding all things in common and spending much time together. It's all in the plural. They did stuff together. I was at a meeting this last week, one of the things that I do, which was considering whether a small church should continue. And someone asked about how small a United Reformed Church could be. Somebody responded, it wasn't me, because I wasn't sure what the answer was. I probably should know, but I wasn't sure. And I don't know whether the answer was given was correct or not, but um, it was given, and I wasn't going to uh, dispute it because I couldn't say anything different. But what this particular person said was, there needs to be at least two people. Well, if that's possible, that's a very small church. But I do see the logic. And part of the logic is that you can't be a church on your own. You, you can be a Christian on your own, but you really need to find someone else and be part of a church, be part of the body. Being a part of the body is about being together. It's about sharing things. It's about interconnectedness. And so the third thing I want to mention in terms of being part of the body is something about being different having different roles, different spheres of service, but they all matter. Now, by the way, let me just say again, as I did at the beginning, I realise that my three points are all arguably saying the same thing. But I think that the different perspectives, the different approaches are of value. And I also think that sometimes it's good to say the same thing in different ways. But this thing about being different, Paul spells this one out when writing to the Corinthians. And there he talks about the disaster of a body that was all leg or all eye or all nose. And the futility of claiming to not be part of the body because I'm not a hand or not an eye. And it's all spelt out in the first part of Romans 12 verse 6. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We make our different contributions, and they're all valid. I come across, as I'm sure you do, people who try to do things that they're not called to do. That's not good. I come across people who think that what they're called to do isn't that important. That's not good either. I come across people who don't value what they are offering and what other people are offering because they, they don't see it as, as important. And that's not good. There are many gifts and they're all important. We need the different parts. If we all did the same, if you were all up with me preaching today, that would be rather a mess, wouldn't it? And so it goes with everything else. 
part of the wonderful richness and diversity of the body of Christ is that we're different. We've got different gifts, different roles, different things to do. But there are no gifts that don't matter. All gifts come from God. And so none confer superiority. And equally none imply inferiority. Different gifts are neither more nor less. They are simply different contributions. It is together that we are the body of Christ valued, sharing and each doing that particular thing or group of things to which God has called us. And so let me say to you again, you are a child of God. What God asks of you is not to do what I am supposed to do, but to do what you are supposed to do. And may God's blessing be on you as you respond to that call.